Netflix is finally making its move into live sports. We have a new entity looking to get into the middle of the biggest sports deals out there. And later in the episode, we have a great conversation with Michelle Beadle. It's Tuesday, November 14th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Netflix Cup is today. It will be the streamer's first foray into live sports. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. Hey, so what is the Netflix Cup? The Netflix Cup is the latest iteration of these made-for-TV golf specials, and it marks, like you said, Netflix's first foray into live sports. Uh, live from Las Vegas at the Wynn Golf Club, you're going to have PGA Tour stars like Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas paired with Formula One drivers like Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz ahead of this weekend's Las Vegas Grand Prix debut. And they're going to com- be competing for this Netflix Cups. It's it's going to be uh, eight holes of match play. It's going to be kind of silly. It's not going to be that uh, serious although i'm sure it'll be competitive it'll be about two and a half hours and netflix is hoping that they can uh, pull this one off without a hitch yeah and obviously f1 and pga tour these are the the stars of netflix's um you might say two most prominent um sports documentaries is it fair to call this a giant netflix commercial in a way yes not all of these athletes are featured prominently in these series Take Max Homa, for example, he hasn't been on full swing yet. Perhaps he will be on the next season. And of course, Formula One's show kind of hits most of the drivers. But yeah, they are promoting it that way. One of their ad campaigns said swing to survive. So a little bit of a uh, mashup between the two. So yeah, I, I think it is fair to say. And Netflix's leadership has said as much as they've been talking about their entry into live sports and how they're going to do it their own way. And they're interested in kind of promoting their own content. And this is a great way to promote those shows. You know, they were also reportedly linked to potentially having interest in airing a boxing match with Jake Paul, who coincidentally has a documentary on Netflix. So you can kind of see read between the lines there what their ideas that doesn't mean they wouldn't be interested in broadcasting uh, another sport that they don't have a docuseries for but it's kind of an easy mashup there for sure right but it does and you mentioned the, the jake paul boxing match it sounds like maybe this is actually something that they're going to make more of a thing and that this this won't be just a one-off my gut says that's the case, unless this is just a complete disaster and they can't get the stream off, which is what happened for the live reunion of Love is Blind back in April. They were not able to do this reunion live and they had to put it on the streaming service as a recorded event. So that would be a huge disaster. I assume they have figured this out, Netflix. And yeah, I would expect more live sporting events, one-offs like this, nothing crazy yet. I don't expect them to be vying for NBA rights in the next uh, upcoming negotiations, but maybe, maybe down the road, that's what they would get to if they see enough success with some of these special events. Yeah, and I could see a little bit of a viewer learning curve, somewhat like people getting used to the idea of watching football on Amazon, where it's a, you expect Netflix to just be, you know, shows that you can watch whenever there's no, it's not appointment viewing. Um, so yeah, I think there's, it, I'm not necessarily expecting a big crowd for this first thing, but 
maybe down the road, people will get used to this idea. Right. And we won't get viewership numbers because Netflix never gives out viewership numbers. But you never know that maybe they leave this up on the Netflix app and it has a second life beyond just whoever the couple hundred thousand people that likely tune into this event on Tuesday night. Maybe they leave it up and it becomes one of the trendiest shows like uh, the Full Swing has, like Formula One's Drive to Survive has. So I'm, I'm sure they have a unique marketing strategy that they're very confident in and um, it's, it'll be interesting to see play out. All right, David Rumsey. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. There is a new entrant in the world of sports dealmakers. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome Eric. Hello. So we have a corporate mashup involving the agency CAA and the advisory firm M Klein and co. What's the deal here? So what CA is doing, there's been a big push throughout the agency world to consolidate and bring in additional uh, functions and capabilities. And what they're doing is kind of bringing in this other uh, entity, M. Klein and Company, to basically do large team sales, large financings, IPOs, things that have been a little bit outside their lane. They've done some smaller deals in this area, but the scale piece of this is really important. And they're really going to be able to do big time, multi-billion dollar financial deals that, again, have been traditionally a little out of their lane. What does this say to you about the broader deal making market here? That the entire business is very dynamic, that traditional roles that we once thought of that an agent does contracts and a finance guy does finance deals. And, you know, some of those sort of precast notions the lines are blurring and that particularly as more and more private equity comes into sports, more foreign money comes into U.S. sports. Um, a lot of our kind of traditional preconceptions are being morphed in real time here. Yeah. And that private equity piece is becoming more and more prominent in U.S. sports. Is that part of this picture for you or is it a little bit separate? No doubt. And um both the entities involved in this deal, uh, the new CAA evolution, they've got a lot of uh, links and contacts into this world. And, and this is something that they can bring in and, and it very easily can uh, see all sorts of interesting deals between an institutional money person, a big time athlete, you know, a foreign PIF, uh, you know, what have you. There's a lot of interesting combinations and new types of deal flows that can start to come out of this. Right. It feels like every team sale now, it's like you've got the named owner and then there's, a, you know, at least one private equity firm that could be putting up a large percentage of the money. So often whatever the league will allow. Yeah. And, and those rules continue to get uh, uh, evolve and morph as well based on these evolving market conditions that, you know, again, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, particularly as it relates to the NFL three or five years ago. But now they're looking at a lot of this uh, alternative investment stuff in a whole new way. And even the first movers like the NBA, they're continuing to revisit these provisions to make sure that it's keeping up with current market reality and plus their own internal goals. Yeah, interesting stuff. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Another college football coach was let go on Monday. Mississippi State bid adieu to head coach Zach Arnett. He had coached all of 11 games, and Mississippi State had seen enough. He gets a $4 million buyout, which is not Jimbo Fisher money, but it's more than most people get to not do their jobs. On the same day, San Diego State coach Brady Hoke announced his retirement, and of course, over the weekend, Fisher got the axe, as did Boise State coach Andy Avalos. 
We have also seen Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald and Michigan State's Mel Tucker be shown the door, and obviously the season's not over. There will be more of these. This is a trend, but it's not just a this-year trend. Last year, there were 23 FBS coaching changes, which was actually down from the 28 coaching changes in 2021. The idea of a runway, in which coaches get to grow into a role, get to know the program, shape it over time, that's gone. Now, it doesn't matter where you are in your contract or what you're getting paid, it's win or go home. When it comes to the first ever Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix, it's a tale of two tickets. The race is likely to be the priciest of the season for fans to come and watch, but the prices to get in are dropping fast. According to reports from Friday, there were still more than 10,000 grandstand tickets left unsold, and the prices were about 50% of what they were a year ago. Tickets that were selling for $2,000 last year and $1,645 a month ago are now down to $1,060. The drop is even steeper when it comes to the Thursday practice race, which has gone from $385 to $180, and Friday's qualifying trials, which dropped from $825 to $342. It's a similar story for Las Vegas Strip hotels, which have seen rates for this upcoming weekend drop around 58% from what they were asking for a year ago, according to Casino.org. It's still going to be a high-profile race against a very unique background, but we might see some recalibration when tickets go on sale for next year's version. Up next, I spoke to Michelle Beadle, who has been in and around NBA media for a long time, and it was great to get her takes on everything the league is trying to make happen in this hugely consequential year. You'll hear all about that and much more right after this. I'm joined now by Michelle Beadle, co-host of Run It Back. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. So you co-host Run It Back on FanDuel TV with Sham Strania, Chandler Parsons, and Lou Williams, Monday to Thursday. It's all about the NBA. What should people expect when they tune in? You know, I think it's just a—it's uh, just four people who love basketball. Well, one of us is just very, very informed and the inside guy, which is Shams, obviously. Um, but it's just four people who love basketball and love talking hoops. And, you know, it's lose the new addition this year. Love, love having him. Um, he has his own interesting perspective on anything and everything. And Chandler is our wild card. Uh, he's not afraid to go viral, which is what I've noticed. He, he will say and answer anything. And, and to be honest, like that's the best kind of television that there is. You, you don't want everyone to always agree. You don't want everyone to be afraid of maybe stepping on people's toes. And I think that's the, that's the thing that Chandler brings. And honestly, we're just having fun. I mean, it is basketball. It's the NBA. Uh, we're happy it's back. We're excited to be in the season and we've got changes to talk about. There's just so much going on at all times. So it's, it's nice to be back. Yeah, I mean, this season especially has has been good for for conversation fodder, among other things. I have to know, has Shams <laughs> ever gotten a scoop while you were recording? Oh, 100 percent. Like when we especially when we're in studio together, because it's one thing, you know, occasionally we have to be on Zoom when everyone's in their respective towns. But when we are in all studio together, he sits to my right and he's never not on his phone to the point where we, we mock him sometimes. And he's had, you know, whether it be an injury update or, or situations like that, because those seem to be the most uh, fluid during the course of a day, especially early morning hours. Um, yeah, he's 100% broken news while we're sitting there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's like, are you listening to me or are you just on your phone? I, I literally said that. I was like, are you doing the show? Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Is there a particular mood to it that is it feels like a morning show or is it more just an NBA show? No, I would say it's more an, an NBA show. Um, 
it's funny because, you know, when you, when we're on the West Coast, we're all getting there. Well, I'm getting there at like 530 and everyone's getting there like right after that. So it's, it's crazy early, but it's such a good energy and a good vibe with everyone that you kind of forget that after a while. I, I wouldn't say that everyone on the show is necessarily a morning person by definition, um, but you kind of quickly become one. But yeah, no, it's, it's, we try to have some fun. We try to, to dig at each other. Um, like I said, Chandler's the easier, he's the easiest mark of the four. His life is, is ridiculous and lovely and awesome. And so we have fun with all of that. But yeah, we, we try to cram in as much NBA as possible. Every once in a while, you get a slow day um, or you'll get like November 7th where it's no game. So you're just kind of having fun. But there's so much to talk about on any given day. And we only have an hour. Yeah. Gotcha. And let's get into the NBA itself because we have less than an hour. Um, <laughs> start with the midseason tournament. How would you rate the NBA's efforts to make people care about this so far? Well, right before I got on here with you, I watched the Atlanta Hawks, only Hawks fans. Uh, oh, ad yeah, I just saw that. that. Yeah. Can I just say whoever A, came up with it, B, approved it, C, ran it, chef's kiss, nailed it. Um, it they've Look, I get it. When they first proposed the idea, A, most of us are just kind of against change. So there's like this automatic backlash of well, why why are you doing this i love i love that the nba is always trying like they may not get a, a, a home run every single time um but they will definitely not be afraid to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks i think the explanations of the tournament at first maybe is what left a lot of people confused i've been very vocal in saying like you know i don't need to get it 100 quite yet although it's now it's starting to all make sense but just let me watch it. I'm watching the games anyways. So there's really no reason to complain. You're going to watch NBA games if you're a fan. It just so happens that the games on the Tuesdays and the Fridays in this month mean a little bit more. And in the end, we're going to get to see a bonus game in Las Vegas. Like, And some people are going to get to take home a lot of extra money, which is fantastic. So yeah, I think for the people that want to complain, that was an easy thing to complain about. But I want to watch the entire thing play out. I'm sure we'll all have opinions come, you know, beginning of December and kudos to them for trying. I, I love it. You got to do something. You can't just leave it the same and then everyone complain about that. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking long term, we're going to have a different feel for this once we're used to it, once it you know feels like what our next topic, which is the All-Star game, um, <laughs> it, it'll, um, it'll, it'll have a different, um, you know, once we know what it is and there isn't the like, oh, why, why are they trying to like make me understand a new thing? Um, right. then, then we'll see how much we care about it, I guess. Yeah. It, that maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, how dare they make my brain work again? I've, I already know the NBA. So yeah, it's just, I think it's going to be fine. And I, I do think it's going to be a classic example of we're going to look back, you know, at the end of this season and be like, you know what? That was actually kind of cool. I didn't hate it. And I look forward to them doing it again. Yeah, right. I, th I think that sentiment, I didn't hate it, I look forward to doing it again, is probably where we're going to end up with this. Um, and yeah, I'm only thinking about this, you know, as we're talking right now, but it might start to feel like the All-Star game where it's like, it doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. But it's, you know, you get a little more excited about it. It's It's a little extra fun. Speaking of the All-Star Game, Adam Silver recently said he blames himself for the All-Star Game not feeling competitive and how no one really plays defense, and it's it's just mm. kind of gotten progressively sillier. I'm wondering what your reaction to all that is. Well, look, it's, it's noble to fall on the sword when you're the leader of something, right? Like, that's sort of the expectation. Not everybody does it, and so when he does it, it just, you're, you're taken aback. I, I don't think it's his fault. I think, I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. Um, 
it's such a stretched out event. You know, if you talk to some of the guys, the ones that are willing to go on the record or the ones that are, are retired from the game and now will talk freely, like it's long and it's a long season. And if you're an all-star, it means you might be on a team that's good. And if that's the case, then you're playing potentially into the month of June. You know, and now we have all these international competitions and the Olympics coming up. So it's a it's a lot of commitment being asked of these guys. Um, and so now you're going to give up uh, like four or five days while the rest of your colleagues are getting a nice week off to go to Turks and Caicos or wherever they want to go. I get it. I get you might want the break. You might want the rest. So the, the appeal perhaps is not what it once was. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that guys are less competitive than they were back in the day. But I do think the individual events when I was younger, you know, slam dunk, three point, th those were marquee events. And I know everyone, we all say the same thing, like back in my day, it was, but we did, we had stars in the slam dunk contest. And that's not to take away from the kids that are doing it now and good for them. And it's exciting and you can make a name for yourself, but we want to see stars. We want to see the household names take part in these events. To be honest with you, I don't have a fix. Um, Cause money, it's a nice incentive, but we're, you know, some of these guys are worth, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I, I don't know what kind of money you would have to throw for that to be the, the needle mover. I don't know if you make it shorter as an event or you limit it to a handful of cities that guys genuinely get excited to go to. And that's not a knock. Well, it is. It's a knock on some cities, but it's on the part of everyone else. Um, you know, it's cold in February. Like maybe we don't go to cold places, things like that. It's little things, little tweaks that may or may not change the way that, that, that people look at All-Star Weekend. But I know it doesn't have the same zhuzh that it used to have. And it, it makes me sad because I genuinely, I loved All-Star Weekend when I was a kid. Loved it. And I'd like to get back to at least some semblance of that at some point. Yeah, I don't know if there's a fix either, honestly. Because, I mean, there are rest, stars resting during regular season games that do count yeah. is already an issue. So yeah, to get them to be competitive and give it their all for a game that doesn't count. I, I don't know what you do. I mean, maybe you lean into sort of the more clownish aspects of it. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe they'll, they'll play around with it, but, but yeah, I feel like trying to get them to treat it like an NBA game is, is maybe not the solution. Yeah, no, I never even looked at it like that anyway, but I, I get what he's saying. And uh, you know, I'm sure they'll try something at some point. Silver also recently said he wants the NBA draft to feel more like the NFL draft, where it's like this two-day thing with, I don't know, lots of hype in media and excitement pouring in and maybe fans like, you know, coming in mass to, uh, to wherever it is. Um, I mean, I, I see what he means in that, I mean, the NFL draft had more viewership than the World Series. And it's sort of not a fair comparison because it's one day versus a week. But still, the NFL draft's huge, and I see wanting to get in on that, and I see how you can at least dream that if you're the NBA. And I think the NBA is the one league that can, you know, imagine hype like that. Anyway, any thoughts there? I mean, look, I thought the NBA draft is – granted, you had the Wemby aspect of it all, and that sort of brought with it um, its own kind of validity because it was such a hyped, hyped draft pick, number one, all that good stuff. I, you know, I can tell you this, and, I, and it's funny you asked that because we, we talked about it with Chandler and Lou Williams. They were both predicted to go late, mid, first round, and neither one did. They went in the second round, and they told stories individually of having family gathered. In Lou's case, he had his family all gathered at an ESPN zone. May they rest. Um, and when he didn't go, he was, like, upset and angry, and he went and sat out front by himself, and Chandler had the same thing. He was like, he didn't go in the first pick. 
Then they get to pick 31 and he still, they still don't call his name. They picked him at like 38. And he said, between 30 and 38, he was so upset. He got drunk. He's like, I don't want to share that part of my life with the public. So there's an interesting aspect of, while I understand the product, you want to, you want to be out there as much as possible. And I wonder though, if the guys themselves, um, are going to want that, you know, if you are predicted one thing and you fall and we look, we see it in the NFL. Some of the most iconic, was it Brady Quinn? Some of the most iconic moments of the draft are guys that were predicted to go up here and dropped all the way down. And it's a sad sort of sad thing that we all watch like a, like a slow car crash. Um, but look, if they can, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. I just know that from a player's perspective, there's going to be some discomfort, if you will. Some yeah. egos are going to be hurt for sure. Right. And that's what makes it a compelling product, right? Is that you don't know where people, I mean, this year's draft is exciting, but also very boring because you know who the number one pick is. And then if you still care after that, then you can keep watching, but there's no mystery there. Yeah. It's a fashion show. It's, it's, we get to see people's families. Uh, Inevitably somebody's mom goes viral because she's hot. Like it's those types of things. But then after that, it's like, now what? (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, that gives me an interesting segue for uh, the the last thing I wanted to touch on, which is a very different topic, which is just the the sort of ongoing presence of women in media, in sports media. Um, um, I I just, you know, not to like, this is obviously a giant topic, um, but I just feel like it's becoming more and more normal to hear female voices, you know, on NBA games, certainly NHL games, I'm hearing more and more other sports were starting, you know, they're sort of moving from the the sideline reporter was kind of where you'd see women for a little while. And now more and more they're in the booth. Um, I'm just wondering like to what degree you felt that progression over, you know, the last handful of years. Oh, I for sure see. I mean, I started doing this. I guess really started doing it in 09 at ESPN. I did some stuff before that, but for me, that's my, my memory. Um, and honestly, there weren't a ton of women in sort of the opinion side of things. And like you said, sideline was kind of where we were. We were, we were shoved in that corner and most of the time didn't get out. And my goodness, between then and now it's all over the place between play by play, which to me was a big one, not just when the first or second came out and did that, but now it's becoming sort of a normal thing. You see individual teams hiring full-time play-by-play women uh, as their as their main analysts, which I I love that. Um, you know, refing all all of the types of spots that were up until recently a men-only zone. Seeing those being filled and not necessarily needing to make remarks about it every time. For me, that's the victory. Is when we do these things, when these women get these jobs, and we all just go about our business. Um, and I, I can, I can speak for women too. Cause like, I've been asked a million times about like my career and doing this and that. And you're sort of like the day that we, the day that things are good is when we don't even have to talk about it anymore because it's just so commonplace. And I am proud to have seen how far all of that has come and, and you're seeing it across the board and you're seeing it in different sports. Um, you know, the coaching aspect of things. I know on the NBA side, we, we await, but there are certainly a lot more women on coaching staffs as, as full-timers now. And that was not the case either. So I'm, I'm loving it. I love that we are out there and, and doing our thing and, and having opinions and all of those. We're not just sort of being relegated to one role only. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michelle Beadle, really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Drop us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice, or just tell a friend about the show. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.